The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he cured them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the amazing things that he did, and heard the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became angry and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read, Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise for yourself. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. It's well known that the story of the origin of the Order of the Holy Cross begins at an Anglo-Catholic parish in Philadelphia. It just so happens that that parish is not my parish. So I hope that you will allow me to establish my credentials. The connections between West Park and Locust Street were well established by the time this chapel was built and consecrated, since priests from Holy Cross had come to St. Mark's in the years before the First World War to tend to our parish during the interim between two rectors. And it was, of course, Catherine Murray Rush Kamak, a parishioner of St. Mark's, who made the gift to fund the construction of this chapel in memory of her husband, William Masters Kamak, who'd been a vestryman of St. Mark's. For the record, William, the scion of a notable Philadelphia family, worked with the firm of the marvelously quirky and idiosyncratic Philadelphia architect, Frank Furness. I think that firm was closed, actually, by the time this chapel was built. Catherine, his wife, was one of the grandchildren of Dr. Benjamin Rush, a most distinguished Philadelphian, who'd been a signer of the Declaration of Independence and is often referred to as one of the founders of American psychiatry. There is a Kamak Street in Philadelphia, one short stretch of which is the last street in the city that's paved with blocks of wood. But the street is actually better known as the home of the Tavern on Kamak, a piano bar that is pretty close to the heartbeat of the city's affectionately named neighborhood. So the Kamak name resonates still in the city of brotherly love. My predecessor, Father Frank Vernon, preached the sermon at the consecration of this chapel 100 years and three days ago. He was only a year into what would become a 24-year tenure as rector of St. Mark's that ended with his death in 1944, a few months after he had collapsed of exhaustion. Father Shirley C. Hewson, OHC, was the celebrant who sang the solemn requiem mass for Father Vernon at St. Mark's, for which the Bishop of Pennsylvania was present. We are told that the bishop offered prayers, 
I'm curious to read between those lines, <laughs> but another time. When the vestry adopted a memorial resolution on Father Vernon's death, it mentioned that his sermons were always brief, but they evidenced an immense amount of preparation. Those sound like possibly more lines to read between, if you ask me. Anyway, such requirements were not part of the job description by the time it made its way to me, neither the brevity nor the evidence of preparation for one's preaching. A volume of parish history produced for our centenary in 1947 makes substantial note of Mrs. Kamak's gift to the order, providing a description of this building, as well as this comment. The chapel, it says, is in daily use and is the center of the monastic establishment at Holy Cross. Many has been the soul which has found peace and pardon here and to whom our Lord has spoken words of consolation and encouragement. Thousands have received at this altar the bread of immortality, which our blessed Savior has left as a pledge of his love to his hungry children. It can be said that this memorial to an ardent parishioner of St. Mark's has become nationally known and loved as a shrine of our church. No need to read between the lines there, I think. It sounds as though the people of St. Mark's were feeling quite proud of our association with the Order of the Holy Cross. And except for the fact that I seem to remember that pride is a sin, I say, why wouldn't we still be proud of our long association with this community and this place, this shrine of prayer and praise? Many of us, myself included, over these past hundred years have beaten a path from Locust, Locust Street to West Park, much to our benefit. And I should add that in my seminary days, I was fortunate to have Douglas Brown as my spiritual director. That little volume of history reports that, that the service of consecration of this chapel, Father Vernon took as his text Love is the fulfilling of the law. For better or worse, I am not required to preach on that text, which out of context might be easy, to, easy enough to do. But in the proper context, in the 13th chapter of St. Paul's Epistle to the Romans, it is not an easy text to preach on. It's preceded by Paul's argument that we should be subject to the governing authorities. And it's followed by his admonition to cast off the works of darkness and to make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. All very well for monks, I guess, but I'm not a monk. But I have to admire Father Vernon's decision, if it was his decision, I don't know, to preach on a text that has nothing to do with foundations, nothing to do with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, etc. Nothing to do with temples, but only to do with the ongoing conversion of the church and of every human heart to the law of God's love. He who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, if the gospel reading assigned to Father Vernon was the same one assigned for today, no wonder he left it alone. Jesus enters the temple. He disrupts 
everything with accusations of corruption. He chastises the men who are supposed to be in charge. And then he walks out and goes on his way. Well, I mean, that's one way for a visiting preacher to approach his task. <laughs> but is it really the pattern that we want to dwell on as we celebrate the anniversary of the dedication of this monastic church? In the midst of that very upsetting series of events, the chief priests and the scribes and come to Jesus with a question when, as Matthew tells us, they saw what wonderful things he did. And when the children were crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. Anyone who cares about the church, as we all do, knows exactly what the chief priests and the scribes felt like in this moment when a charismatic leader has caught the attention and maybe even the hearts of the, of the people and is teaching them and leading them in ways that are not our ways and with thoughts that are not our thoughts and we are certain cannot be good for the people over whom we have charge. Because frankly, what the priests and the scribes heard being shouted in the, in the temple was blasphemy as far as they were concerned. So they went up to Jesus, the chief priests and the scribes did, and they asked him, do you hear what they're saying? The question is telling, because they assumed that if Jesus heard what they heard, he would do something about it. God, I know how that feels. How many times have I prayed, wondering if Jesus is really listening? Not just to me, but to everything I hear that I am sure cannot possibly be good for the people entrusted to my care, let alone for me. What a common prayer it could be on my lips. Lord, do you hear what they're saying? Another version might be, do you see what they're doing? And I assume that if Jesus heard what I hear and saw what I see, he would do something about it. Indeed, when I'm honest with myself, it's almost never hard for me to identify with the chief priests and the scribes and the gospels. When I look beyond editorial prejudice against them, it's almost never difficult for me to align myself with the Pharisees. I mean, I hate to admit it to you, but over the years I've gotten used to telling the truth in this chapel. It's just that normally I'm not speaking out loud. <laughs> and so in this moment, I feel the echo of Father Vernas. I try to work out how my heart is aligned, what kind of gospel it is I'm called to proclaim at this very moment, in this very place, and I feel that miserable prayer on my lips. And in my heart again, Lord, do you hear what they are saying? Do you see what they are doing? Take blasphemy, add to it for starters, Gunfire, warfare, racism, untrammeled greed, a relentless and cruel marketplace, exploitation, addiction, the ruin of this planet, rampant secularization, outright rejection of religion, and this virus on top of it all, let alone my own issues. Lord, do you hear what they are saying? Do you see? Do you see what they are doing? 
Father Vernon's hand, though, is on my shoulder. And he's whispering in my ear, don't you remember that love, love is the fulfilling of the law. Or to paraphrase, don't you remember love? Don't you remember love? As I feel Father Vernon's hand on my shoulder and I hear his echo in my ear, I find that my task here this morning to proclaim the good news is primarily to repeat and intensify what others from St. Mark's have already said about this place to wit. Many has been the soul which has found peace and pardon here and to whom our Lord has spoken words of consolation and encouragement. Thousands, thousands and thousands have received at this altar the bread of immortality, which our blessed Savior has left as the pledge of his love to his hungry children. And when I get too caught up in that question, Lord, do you hear what they're saying? It's easy for me not to notice that the children are still hungry. St. Mark's and Holy Cross have something else in common besides a cast of characters from bygone years. Perhaps it is bold of me to say this, but I will say it anyway. Our two communities, one monastic, one parochial, have the same heartbeat. For the heart of both our communities beat with the rhythm of the daily Eucharist. And this is not normative in the Anglican tradition, but it is essential and it is profound. I know that here you breathe the breath of the daily offices, inhaling and exhaling the psalms, drawing them deep into your lungs, and then sending them tunefully out into the atmosphere. And at St. Mark's, we too breathe the, officers, the offices, albeit with a shallower breath than you do. But the Mass is our heartbeat here in West Park and on Locust Street too. The Mass has been said daily at St. Mark's since 1884, which is just a few years later than the time this community's Eucharistic heart began to beat day by day by day. If love is the fulfilling of the law, the Mass is the proper spelling and pronunciation of Christ's love. And of course, it can be spelled and pronounced a thousand different ways. For the Mass conveys the fullness of the mystery of God's self-giving love in the person of Jesus. And people come here to this community, to this chapel, as they also come to St. Mark's in order to rest their heads on Jesus' breast and to listen to his heart beat. God's hungry children come here as they also come to St. Mark's day by day by day to be fed the bread of life. In its memorial resolution, 
The vestry of St. Mark's commended Father Vernon's sermons, not only for their brevity, but also because each was, carefully was a carefully designated utterance with a beginning, a middle, and an end. <laughs> That's the result of all that preparation, don't you know? <laughs> and it doesn't really seem like much to ask of a preacher, but then you never know what you're going to get. But as I said, my task here today seems to be one primarily of repetition. So to make sure that this sermon at least has an end, I will repeat again the marvelous gifts identified by my parish decades ago when we bragged about our indelible connections to this community and its life of prayer. Peace and pardon. Words of consolation and encouragement. And the bread of life which our blessed Savior gives as his pledge of his love to his hungry children. May Christ's hungry children ever be fed here in this place. And may Christ's heart beat here with that unmistakable rhythm so that those who come to worship and to pray here may rest our heads on Jesus' breast and hear his heart beat full of love. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.